to know is that God is a God who hears you in the midst of your place. And so would you meet me in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29? I love the book of Jeremiah, by the way. Jeremiah has a nickname. He's known to be the weeping prophet. That's not the kind of nickname you want. There's the crier again, right? Because commonly throughout the book of Jeremiah, he's like, I cried out. I was brought to tears. I'm in sorrows. And to top it off, he writes a book called Lamentations. This, this, is, this is this guy's M.O. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament are unlike many who want to claim to be prophets in our own day. Yes, there are people who are prophetic. Yes, there are prophets in our day. But listen, the prophets in the Old Testament, it, this was not a glamorous road. They, they, they weren't driving nice cars. The prophets in the Old Testament were often spurned upon. They were people who were frowned on because they had a message and it was not an easy one. Their message was pretty simple. God's not happy with you. You got to turn from your wicked ways. If you don't, destruction's coming. There's hope for you, but destruction's coming. So turn. And this is how this story goes with each and every prophet. Now I want to give you some lesson here just so we understand the Bible. The Bible is broken up from the Old and New Testament. In the New Testament is when Jesus Christ, God incarnate, comes on the scene in human flesh. In the Old Testament, there's this anticipation that God would make right what's been wrong from the Garden of Eden when sin entered the world. And God has a promise that goes from Genesis 3.15 to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ himself. But throughout that promise, God promised to raise up a people, the nation of Israel, through whom he would redeem humanity. But when Israel rebels against him, all those promises, people begin to wonder, what's going on here? God has made his promises, but we, his people, have rebelled from him. And that's where the prophets come in. God's like, I'm going to send my people, my prophets to come and tell you, hey, turn away from your wicked ways. I'm still God. I still got a plan. But the people of Israel, they would not listen to God through his prophets. Now, there are three types of prophets or three seasons of prophet ministry. They're what we call the pre-exilic prophets, and there's a big word, but follow with me, exilic prophets and the post-exilic prophets. The word exilic is simply referring to the nation of Israel, whether they're in exile or not. There's prophets who ministered before Israel went into exile, telling them, turn away or judgment's coming. Well, the fact that there's exilic prophets, those who are in exile, means that they didn't turn away. And there are people who prophesied while God's people were sent away in exile, like, hey guys, you're in this bad place because of your sin turn back to God. And then God fulfills his promise, brings his people back into the land. That's where the post-exile, post-exilic prophets come. And they're like, all right, guys, you still got work to do. Keep coming back to God. So there's prophets who are ministering in all these different ways in the Old Testament. Jeremiah is on the cusp of two different areas there. He's talking to God's people before they go into exile, saying, turn from your wicked ways. And then they don't. And then he's talking to them while they're in exile. So now you understand why he's the weeping prophet. Because he pleaded and pleaded and pleaded. And God's people didn't listen. And then he saw the destruction come. He saw the Babylonian army come into Israel, into Jerusalem itself, and take away God's people. And there, uh, there Jeremiah, just, he just weeps and he's in sorrow. Thank God they wouldn't listen. Jeremiah just feels sometimes even betrayed by God. Like, God, you gave me this message that you knew they wouldn't follow. 
And Jeremiah says, if I hold God's word in my heart, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I can't even hold it in. i got to speak it. But when I speak it, they don't listen. He feels stuck. So Jeremiah is a prophet who's in a difficult place with a difficult message to a difficult people. And Jeremiah 29 is after Israel had gone into exile. And in this chapter, he writes a letter to the people of God as they're in a foreign land with a foreign language, with foreign food, and a foreign God. And in many ways, as Jeremiah writes, you just get the sense of like, how did they get here? I mean, you think of this as the nation of Israel, King David, the great king, the promise of Messiah, the, the scriptures themselves have come, the law, the beauty of all you've done, God, and, and now your people are all gone in a foreign land. Like, how, how did we get here? Well, the book of Jeremiah tells us how God's people got there. And yes, I'm getting to prayer here, but we've got to see what's leading to this passage. Jeremiah t- uh, chapter 2, God says, has a nation ever changed its gods? And the answer is no, of course not. He's like, then how can my people try to change me? They've also tried to cleanse themselves without God. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22. He says, though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, God says. You tried oxyclean, you tried tide, it ain't going to do it. There's injustice in the land. Jeremiah 5.1. Run to and fro, though the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man, even one who does justice and seeks the truth, truth, that I may pardon her. But they did not even find one who did justly. Their iniquity is ever before God. There's oppression in the city. Jeremiah 6.6. This is the city that must be punished. There is nothing but oppression within her. Jeremiah 8.5, why then has his people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. And then Israel ends up being conquered by Babylon and taken into exile. This was a series of some not so fortunate events. This wasn't an accident, though. It was the result of Israel's sin. So we come to Jeremiah chapter 29. We see in verse 1, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here is the letter he writes to them. Now, if you would, would you please stand with me as I read here verses 5, I'm sorry, verses 4 and following through 14. I'll be focusing on verses 10 through 14, though. This is what Jeremiah says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. And do not decrease, verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. 
And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. I'm going to pause there just before I keep reading. Basically what God's saying is, stay put. Stay put. I have no intention of getting you out of this bad situation anytime soon. And then verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, that's many, that's a lot of years. How many years? 70 years. I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is God's word. You may be seated, family. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's some good news when you're in a bad spot. Israel is in a bad spot. They're in Babylon in a foreign land because of their own sin. They have no one to blame but themselves. When they ask, how did I get here? The answer was because of their own choices, their own sin, and others were wrapped up in the sins of other people. There was consequences, and that's how they got there. Family, as I read this, I can't help but think so many times we're, we find ourselves in a similar boat. We look at ourselves and ask, man, how did I get here? How did I get to this place, God? How did I get to the place where I'm enjoying my sin more than I'm enjoying you? How did I get to this place where I've drifted so far that it's so difficult to even talk to you, God? How did I get here? We know the answers. We've drifted sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, but we've drifted from God. And here Israel's in this place, the same place you and I often find ourselves. How did we get here? But what's so beautiful is that the God of Israel is still the God of his children, and we are his children through faith in Jesus, if you've put your faith in him today. And the same God who offers hope to his people when they strayed then is the same God who offers hope to us today when we stray now. It's a hope that he offers to all of his children who put their faith in Jesus. If you're here today and you have done that, if you've given your entire life to Jesus, and maybe you're struggling in your faith, you need to know something about our God. Is that no matter where you're at, he is still listening to you. You might not be in exile in Babylon, but you feel isolated in your circumstance. You feel alone in your sin, perhaps. Perhaps you just feel disappointed, but God's like, I'm still here and I still have a plan for you as I had a plan for them. He says in 70 years, he tells the nation of Israel, I'm going to come through and take you out of Babylon and bring you back to Jerusalem. That's a long time to wait. But something God makes clear in verse 11, he says, I know the plans I have. 70 years seems like a long time to you, but I know what I'm doing. The word I is emphatic in the original Hebrew. God is saying, I, I know the plans I have for you. There's no doubt about God's knowledge here in his statement. There's no question about what he's doing. See, there's, a, there's certainty attached to God's plan, even though there's uncertainty attached to their experience. 
You ever feel uncertain about your experience? You ever feel uncertain about where you're at spiritually? And in your uncertainty, you must know that there is certainty attached to God's plan, even if you don't know it. God says, I, I know the plans I have for you. There is a reason for this season you're in. What God does then, he shows them here that he is capable of salvaging the mess that they themselves created. That's good news. Because we've created a lot of mess at different times in life. You ever try to give your kid a haircut? You create a mess sometimes. And it takes a good barber to salvage that, doesn't it? You ever try to cook for someone and company's coming over and you're like, I got a problem? It takes a good chef to salvage that mess, doesn't it? Or how about good actors? You ever see them redeem a bad script? This would have been a bad movie if it weren't for that good actor. It takes a bomb athlete to redeem a bad team. And so what God is showing here to Israel, though, it takes a pretty bomb God to redeem a pretty messed up people. It takes a God who specializes in... I'm going to preach by myself if you're not going to join with me here today. Because there is a God that we're talking about who has the capability to salvage the mess that you yourself create. He takes bad people and redeems. He takes filthy hearts and he cleanses. He takes a bad situation and says, I I know the plan I've got for you in the midst of that. His plans are precise. They're not coincidental. They're not arbitrary. They're not happenstance and they're not wishy-washy. God's like, I've got a plan and it's rooted in my sovereign will. That's good news for us. In particular, what's his plan? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He says, I got plans for welfare and not for evil. The word welfare in Hebrew is the word shalom. You're familiar with it. The word shalom most basically translated is peace. But the word peace just really doesn't capture what shalom means in the Hebrew language. It, it, is, it is far more inclusive. It's, it's richer it's wide-ranging. It's saying, it's saying this idea of completeness, of a prosperity, not this junk prosperity we see in so many preaching, but true prosperity, an abundant life God is offering. He says, I have a plan for you, though you are in the consequences of your choices, or maybe in the consequences of the choices of another. But God's like, I have a plan, and it's for your welfare. See, a lot of times we think other things will complete us, bring wholeness, bring shalom. But there's nothing that will complete us like faith in Jesus does. Marriage will not complete you, dear singles. Children will not complete you. A better job will not complete you. A nicer home will not complete you. All the things that oftentimes our hearts long for are not the kinds of things that will make us whole. See, completing in our hearts is with when we put our faith in Jesus. And here God is even saying, look, I have a plan for for welfare, for wholeness, to bring you completion. That's, That's my plan for you, though you find yourself in a really dire situation. And he says, my plan is for welfare and not for evil. 
Now, as I was reading that, I was like, well, that seems obvious. You're God, right? You don't have evil plans for people, right? 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light. In him, there's no darkness. James 1 says, God is not tempted with evil. Why would he even say, I have plans for welfare and not for evil? God, that seems obvious, doesn't it? Maybe not, though, right? See, if we're honest with ourselves, there's been times in our mess, in our situations, even our own choices, that we wonder, God, are you still good? It's a pretty wild thing that a lot of times we want to give the appearance that we never question God's goodness, when deep down inside, not only do we question his goodness, we even wonder if it's evil sometimes, his will toward us. And I'm so grateful for God and his word, because we're not the first ones to be wrestling with reconciling what's in our experience with what we know in God's word. See, God says, I got a plan for welfare and not for evil. I'm stating the obvious God is saying because I know the questions in your heart. Because it's hard to reconcile how we feel with what we know sometimes. And we might feel that God is distant or not good or dare even say evil, though we know he is good and he is perfect and he is right. And here God makes it plain. What's not always clear to us is clear to him. I've got plans for your shalom. I don't have plans for evil in your life. You see, I think that alone allows us to see our trials, to see even the consequences of our own sin, to see the brokenness of our world differently. Because behind it is not the hand of an evil God, but a God who is good, who wants your shalom, but knows that sometimes that comes through difficulty to purge us of the things we trust in in order to lean closer on him. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Sometimes we just need to know there's going to be a tomorrow. And God's like, I'm going to give you a future. But not just a future, but a future and a hope. So not just that you're going to have a tomorrow, but a tomorrow that has hope attached to it. Just think about Israel. They're in Babylon with a foreign language, a foreign God, and a foreign land with foreign food. And sometimes we just don't like even foreign food, right? Here they are in a tough situation for God to say, I'm not done with you guys. In 70 years, I'm going to bring you back because I am a God who follows my promises, who keeps them. We need to hear that in the same way they need to. He has just told them there is a purpose in their pain, there is hope in their hurt, and there is meaning in this mess. And so this is what we are so familiar with oftentimes, this beautiful promise, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, and we hold on to that promise, and you're right to do so. But I just want to plead with you, don't stop at verse 11, for goodness sake. Because in verse 12, God's like, then you will call upon me. And come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You see, what God has done here for them, he says, I have a promise for you to bring you back to the land, but that promise also comes with the expectation that you will come to me. This is prayer here, family. You see, we are right to hold on to all the promises of God in the gospel and that are found in the scriptures. But we are not right to simply hold on to them and not let them lead us into further prayer. See, what God is telling them here is, look, I put this promise on you that I'm going to redeem the situation even you yourself put yourself in. But with that, I want you to come 
and call upon me and come and pray to me. I want you to cry out to me. And then he says, and I will hear you. You see, as I opened up earlier, I mentioned a lot of times we don't pray because we either feel like God has disappointed us or we're disappointed in ourselves and we don't pray. And God is giving this invitation as we see throughout the Bible saying, come and pray to me. Come and pray to me. No matter where you're at, pray to me. And God says, I will hear you there in verse 12. I will hear you. Your prayers don't hit the ceiling. You, God's got like reception no matter how deep a tunnel you're in. He heard Jonah in the sea cry out, I called out to the Lord and he answered me. He heard Peter in the boat when he said, away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Blind Bartimaeus on the road, God heard him. Jesus, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. David in his prayer closet after his sin with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband says, have mercy on me against you only have I sinned. God hears us no matter where we're at. So if you find yourself in a sea of sin like Jonah or the boat of blame like Peter or the road of regret like Bartimaeus or in the closet of culpability like David, God says, I will hear you. I will hear you when you call upon me and come and pray to me. See, what is so good about our God is that our mess is not something that holds him from hearing us when we come to him in true brokenness. Look what he says, David says in Psalm 51. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. He's like, God, you're not looking at me do good works and good things and trying to earn your ear. But what does it say? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. God's like, I will never turn away a broken heart. I will never turn away a repentant person. I will never turn away someone who comes to me on their knees asking me for forgiveness. I will never turn you away. This is good news. And that's where we understand his plan for us, family. God's like, I'm all ears to the prayers of the broken. Not only am I all ears to the prayers of the broken, but I'm all available to the prayers of the broken because it goes on to say, then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is a promise to all who seek him with all their heart. Notice that. This is a promise here. Then you will, not might, then you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is a promise for you and I to hold on to. Jesus tells us in the same way, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He says God is a God who gives good things to his children and there is nothing better than God giving us himself. See, the reason God can offer us this, this invitation into his presence is because he has removed the barrier between us and him. See, that's what the cross of Jesus accomplished. See, when we come to him with a contrite and broken spirit, see, God is like, your sin has been covered. Yes, you feel the guilt of your actions, but I need you to know that I took that guilt then and put it on the cross of my son so that his righteousness clothes you, and I see his righteousness even though you are a mess. That's the good news. 
See, if you've never put your faith in Jesus today, there is a gap between you and God. There is hostility because your relationship is severed. But what God says, when you put your faith in Jesus, believing he died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead and you turn from your wicked ways, he says that, 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 that gap is removed. You can be in fellowship with me because of what Jesus has accomplished for you. God is like, I'm all ears and I'm all available. This is a promise and you can take it to the bank. No check that God has ever written has ever come back NSF. Non-sufficient funds. A few weeks ago, we at the Brook received a check for $20,000 from somebody. We praise God for that. This person said God burdened their heart for this church. What God does is, he says, look, I've got plans. I've got plans for you as individuals. I've got plans for my church. And we cashed that check, family. <laughs> Real quick. <laughs> and it ain't returned to us. See, God's promises are the same way. God's promises are checks that he's written to us. He says, look at me. Look at my character. Look who I am. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, you have fallen away. But if you're my child, and if you're broken, I'm all ears. I'm all available when you come to me. Take his promises to the bank church family. Don't you dare hold on to a $20,000 check and never take it to the bank, family. I've never heard of anybody doing that. Don't hand, hold on to his promises and never take them to God. God's like, I know the plans I have for you. I, I know the plans I have for you in your mess, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare. I will give you shalom. I don't give you evil. I give you a future that's filled with hope because then, then, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. But something I mentioned there in verses 1 and then again in verse 10, and this is a letter to exiles. And in verse 10, he says, when 70 years are complete, I'll bring you back to the land. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm hearing this, God, that's a long time to wait on you to fulfill your promises. And sometimes that's just how it is, family. But the question is, what do you do in the gap? between when the promise is uttered and when the promise is fulfilled. Well, what do you do in this gap? See, he told the people of Israel, he tells them in verse 5, go build a house. Go on with life. Multiply there. Seek the welfare of the city. But then he says, also seek me. You see, family, God's timing is perfect. He's never late. He ain't never early. He's always on time. And though we may not always be content in the waiting, let us not be those who sit around. If I had time, I'd take you to the book of Haggai. When Haggai the prophet, who is a post-exilic prophet, comes to the people of Israel like, hey, you're in Jerusalem. What are you waiting for? Get to work. They're like, oh, we're just waiting for God to fulfill his promises. He's like, you're waiting doing nothing, though. 
You see, a lot of times in the gap from God's promise to its fulfillment, we find ourselves either trying to force God's hand early, making it happen, saying this is God, and we use the language of God is doing this, God is doing this. God's like, I never told you that. You're forcing something that I didn't tell you. I told you to wait. You're telling me go. I didn't say go. I said wait. So sometimes we find ourselves forcing God's hand because we can't be patient and wait on him. Sometimes we soak in, in sorrow, but it's not like godly sorrow that leads to repentance. We're just mad or sad, maybe resentful toward God, like, God, you're taking long. God's like, I've got a purpose in the pain. I've got hope for you in the hurt, that there's meaning in this mess, but you've got to wait on me. Or sometimes we wait, but we wait sitting on our hands. I'm just waiting for God to fulfill his promises. God's like, do something in the meantime, though. Be obedient to me. Walk in repentance. Cry out to me. Seek the welfare of the city. Be productive. Do things for my glory and my name. But above all, seek me and find me and seek me with all your heart. Family, we want our church family here to be a church that prays. As I shared with you last week, one of our core values is thirsty prayers. Prayer is an expression of our deep dependency upon God. It is an affirmation of our faith in a God who is powerful and is ultimately an expression of the fact that, man, God, we need you. Maybe you find yourself in exile in various forms today for various kinds of reasons. Even there, God will hear you. So let's be proactive in the gap. Let's be diligent in prayer. And let's just love getting to know our God in the midst of whatever we're going through. He's got plans. His plans aren't arbitrary. He's got a purpose for all that's going on. And in the midst of it, he's saying, come to me, pray to me, and I will hear you. Let's pray. God, there's no such thing as a series of unfortunate events when we're talking about the hand of a sovereign God who's got a plan. God, I pray that today you would create a breakthrough in many hearts, including my own. God, I pray that you would cast aside all distractions, all things that the enemy uses to cause us to become disappointed with you, disappointed with self, or drift us from prayer, distract us. God, you know what these things are. And God, if we're honest, we know what they are. And if we don't see them, show them to us, God. Search us, oh God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. Show us, God. And Lord, I pray that we would genuinely and with true abandonment say, God, have your way with us. God, I'm so thankful that you did bring Israel back in 70 years and your promise came through. And through Israel came your Messiah, Jesus, through whom the great promise of forgiveness and eternal life is offered and comes through. God, I pray for everyone here that we would put our faith in you truly. And for those who've never done that, God, may today be that day of salvation. May today be the day that they raise their white flags and God, I surrender to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's rise to our feet as we close in song here. Prayer team, please come make yourself available.
for anybody who wants to be prayed for. Um, that's what our prayer team is here for. Let's sing this closing song with heart of conviction and true abandonment.